0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris, welcome to episode 306 of X-Lapsed Which, uh, might be kind of a short episode Um, I, uh, it's not that I don't have a whole lot to say Uh, It's that I don't have uh, really anything nice to say about uh, this book, this series And so, uh, rather than, you know, double, triple, and quadruple down on, uh, you know, uh, observational complaints or negativity, um... I think we'll just try to, uh, you know, drop the facts of this issue, get us from point A to point B, and then, uh, well, just cut our losses and uh, move on with our lives. Uh, The book we're going to be discussing today is, uh, it's one of those good news, bad news situations. It is the final issue of Excalibur, but the story isn't over. Uh, This is Excalibur, Volume 4, Number 26, which had a February 2022 cover date. The story title is The Fantasy Is Over. Written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe, Colors, Eric Arshenaga. Letters, VCs, Ariana Mar. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X's, Hickman. Edits. We got, uh, one, two, we have five editors here. Four, if we don't count, Sobolski, Uh, Okoyi, Bisa, Brunstad, White, Sobolski, Uh, cover price, four bucks. Went on sale December the 15th of 2021. And, well, we open at the former Starlight Citadel. And, uh... You know, sometimes it's hard to write a script. Uh, I tell you what, it's never a good sign when, like, I'm only six words into a script, and I already want to be done. But, uh, as I was writing this, I was, and uh, I did want to stop. So, uh, oi. Um, now, okay. In case we forgot, or maybe didn't care in the first place, last issue, uh, Merlin gave Saturnine the old boot from the Citadel, and then renamed it the Lunatic Citadel. Now he's addressing his uh, minions, his armies They include members of the Foul Kingdoms as well as the returning Arthur Now we see the vampiric Sevilithians, uh, the formerly interesting Furies And the bee folk from the Hot Hive Now Merlin bellows a bit about their need to drive the mutants, or witch breed, out of Otherworld And, uh, you know what? Where do I sign up to be part of the Merlin fan club? Because I want them out of Otherworld too Our scene shifts over to Avalon, where Megan and Valeria Margaret Thatcher Braddock are having an adult conversation that ultimately leads nowhere. Um, It's a full page of Megan telling Maggie that she'll have to head into battle before Betsy and Saturnine show up to change the plan altogether. So why did we bother writing the page? Uh, Who knows? Who cares? At least, it's another page down. Anyway. In case you forgot, or again, didn't care in the first place Last issue had Betsy and Saturnine sent to the Dead Sea or something Just like a weird purgatory sea Now here, we learn that her royal winess has a never-before-mentioned and wickedly convenient power To drop herself through reality Now, hmm, I mean, yes, Saturnine's all-powerful And we don't know everything about her, so sure, why not add a power? Here's the thing about that Betsy and Opaluna, what's-her-face, were able to drop through reality right into Avalon, right? Well, we're about to find out in, like, a page and a half from now that Saturnine's drop-through reality power is 100% random. As in, in her words, quote, It's a clever gateway if you need it, but a dangerous one. There's no way of knowing where you'll land. Unquote. So, very, very fortuitous. That they dropped exactly where they needed to go. Uh, who, who cares? Um, now, it's here where Saturnine tells her tale of woe and how she became at odds with Merlin. Now, this tosses us back to New Avengers, volume 3, 4, 5, 6. One of them. One of them. Uh, issue number 30. This is Hickmany stuff in the lead-up to the Hickman-flavored Secret Wars of 2015, because... Uh, I think we've figured that uh, the only other Marvel writer that Teeny Howard reads is Jonathan Hickman. Uh, this is when realities were starting to bump uglies, and the Captain Britain Corps were called in to investigate, and the Brian Britain Corps fell. Saturnine discovered one of the Beyonder's mapmakers. Then she used her random-ass powers to slip through reality with it, and wound up landing in Blightspoke. There, she was left with only a small piece of the mapmaker, which looked like a shiny blue bauble. Now with this powerful trinket, she somehow blew up Roma and Merlin But not forever, because Roma and Merlin are legends who would be reborn Or something Opal Luna then buried the bauble in Blightspoke, where it remains even to this day Which, I mean, in Marvel time is probably like, you know, four weeks ago Now here's the thing Y'all remember those, uh, those critters from X of Tens that Kid Cable and his folks freed from that rift at Sword Station 1? The Vescora, remember them? Well, they're miners, if you recall, and uh, they're at Blightspoke, so uh, they're mining into the ground there, so they might just happen across the mapmaker essence, or whatever. Now, at this point, even Betsy's bored of the plot and decides she's needed elsewhere, which takes us to our double-page spread of roll call and cred. Uh, Betsy Britton, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter, Megan, and Saturnine are our characters. From here, we hop back to Earth, and we're at Braddock Island. Here, Pete Wisdom, the goofballs from Strike, Rachel, an amazing baby, Professor X, and Saturnine... Er, I mean, Emma Frost are, uh, hanging out. And I tell you what, maybe Emma's not the best character to use here, as her presence really doesn't matter. And she looks exactly like Saturnine. I mean, it could be a plot point if they decided to go that way, and it would have felt natural. But, of course, she is Emma Frost, and I have a sneaking suspicion that ex-writers get, like, a few extra bucks in their checks for using her. I mean, they must, right? There's got to be some incentive there, because she's in more of these books than just about any other character in the entire franchise. Anyway, we also see that Reuben and his coven are there, as well as a few uh, UK choppers are hovering above. Now, you see, they're scared about baddies busting through the Krakoan Gate from Otherworld, which... I mean, I know we're supposed to view these guys as the baddies, right? They're the villains. But wouldn't it stand to reason that, if this were the real world, that we wouldn't want armies of bee people, vampires, and furies busting into Earth? We might want to, uh, we might want to shut down any gateway which would allow that to possibly happen. From here, uh, Pete Wisdom addresses Xavier basically to remind him, and us, that we spent like an issue and a half of this awful book bringing back his strike team, who nobody ever cared about in the first place. Xavier invites Pete and the gang to operate on Krakoa, which feels like it's Messily trying to tie up a loose end. Then, Betsy and Excalibur arrive back on Earth. Emma immediately goes on the attack, accusing Betsy of abandoning the real world for the fantasy world. Which, I mean... This is the 26th issue of this shit, and we're just now addressing the fact that Captain Britain has been flitting around in Otherworld for 95% of the run? Okay, um, Rachel asks if Betsy can squirrel Saturnine away to Krakoa until they can regroup, which kind of sounds like an out-of-nowhere sort of request. Then Betsy talks about how she's Captain Britain while also at the same time being banned from Britain. Rachel kisses Betsy on the cheek for... Being a badass or something? This is not... this is awful. Speaking of awful, how about we go to this text wall of an info page to read, um... Sir Leroy Ironsight's War Journal. Who the what now? Uh, Anyway, uh, here we learn that this current Arthur isn't just the regular Arthur, but instead an amalgamation of all the Arthurs. Anybody still following this? Uh, There's bits in here to remind us that Mordred is prophesied to kill Arthur, but we're we're not going to see Mordred anyway, so... uh. Back to comics, as Betsy and Excalibur are already back in Otherworld preparing for battle. The battle breaks out, and we get a full-page spread of goodies fighting baddies. We turn the page, and it's over. Like nobody's fighting anymore. Did did, did, did we lose pages here? I mean, they're just talking. I, I shouldn't complain, because... I mean, it would be a blessing if we did lose pages. Uh, Betsy then goes one-on-one with Arthur for, like, a single panel. Then the combined forces of all the baddies from this volume do the anti-care bear stare on the otherworld gate to shut it down. Like, we got Reuben, Mariana, Morgan Le Fay, Merlin. Next thing we know, we're back and the battle is raging again, so maybe the pages are just out of order? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, By now, the Betsy Britain Corps have arrived. Uh, the... Baddies are all, like, connected by lightning. Uh, Brian tells Betsy they gotta retreat before the gate gets shattered. Then, the gate gets shattered. Uh, the folks on Braddock Island freak the F out because it's, like, a big blast. Info page. Uh, Ruben addresses Parliament. And, um... <laughs> I bet this page, like, really rankled folks who, uh, actually live in the UK because this is ridiculous. Um... The thing of it is, uh, Reuben is basically suggesting that they go to actual, literal war with Krakoa. So, this horse's ass with a coven, who's been given some nebulous diplomatic control within the UK government, is appealing to Parliament that they go to war. Okay, um, let's get back to comics, and let's get back to Earth. Uh, here, Betsy, they're, they're all back, right? They made it back from Otherworld um, But Betsy realizes that her sword was made of Starlight Citadel stuff And that she could use it to return to Otherworld to continue the fight Which is exactly what she does So she leaves a world that fears and hates her To return to a fantasy world that fears and hates her And that is where we leave it But we do have that hype page since these are all season finales here The hype page reads as follows A world of magic and adventure awaits dot 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 Unless you're a mutant Knights of X, April 2022 And the art on this page is yet another knockoff of the Days of Future Past cover motif Which... Can we just retire that damn thing already? Like where they're standing in front of all the posters, right? It's lazy. It's uninspired. And stories like this haven't earned the right. Just can we please not use that for a little while? Moratorium, just for a little while. Anyway, that's that. Uh, next episode is the season finale of Wolverine. Before we get into Zlato, Zlato. So, um, oof. Uh, do we even do we even talk about this issue? This volume. You all know me. I I tend to uh, really struggle. With uh, being negative on this show Despite the fact that um, some people think that I'm only negative on this show I don't want to be And I've said this before and I'm sure I'll say it again But um, this, I am totally and 100% willing to chalk this entire volume up to being Just too laden with Chris problems You know, rather than actually use my, you know, dislike for the For the sort of genre that it was trying to uh, evoke as any sort of indication or indictment on the quality of the story overall. Suffice it to say, I did not care for it. Um, One thing about this volume, which, uh, outside of the actual story it's trying to tell, which kind of rubs me a bit the wrong way, is the fact that any time I see anything negative about this book, and I do see plenty of negative about this book, because, as mentioned, I worry about negativity, and... uh, I'm very insecure about my own opinions, uh, so when I come across as overly positive or overly negative on an issue or on a title overall, I will, you know, kind of test the waters and see what other people think about uh, the story or the issue or the volume overall. And uh, when I looked up Excalibur, it has this odd—and I'm pretty sure I've talked about this, or at least touched upon this in one of our 25 prior visits with this book— but There is a lot of negativity around this book, but it always comes with this, like, odd, almost apologetic qualifier, which I don't understand. Um, It's like, oh, this has great ideas, but the execution is flawed. Or it it wants to go this way, but, oh, that damn editorial is not allowing it to go the way it needs to go. Now, all that tells me is that uh, the creator on this book is someone who people want to say nice things about or who feel bad about saying bad things about where... Maybe other writers, they don't feel so bad about saying bad things about. I, I don't know. All I do know is that there are plenty of writers out there who do not get the benefit of the doubt that our Excalibur writer does on the, on the old internet. Which, to be completely honest, kind of tempers the way that I would, uh, you know, come out and talk about this issue because, me, I mean, everybody else can't be wrong, right? If, if somebody's got to be wrong, it's probably me. So, uh, like I said, I'm totally okay with just chalking this up to being a Chris-incompatible story, genre, attempt, um, whatever. I'm happy that we're done with Excalibur. I'm not really looking forward to Knights of X. The only cool part about Knights of X is that I get to call it cocks without being vulgar. Another good thing about Knights of X is that it doesn't have, like, a legacy X-Men title. You know, which might help it float on longer. So I don't really see Knights of X lasting all that long. And I feel like, uh, since, from all indications, this will be a detached series. You know, this is all another world. They they can't get back to Krakoa because the gateway's gone. So maybe this will... Untether uh, Teeny Howard And we can get rid of all the editorial restrictions That have held this story back from its You know, true vision and potential And uh, and we can see Whether it uh, sinks or swims And, I mean Who knows? Maybe maybe it is editorial That's a problem Maybe it was Hickman leaving that threw Multiple monkey wrenches into the uh, Whatever this story was going to Blossom into We'll see, maybe it'll actually be something Worth checking out we will find out in, uh... Well, it comes out in April, so I will get it at the end of April, beginning of May. So we'll find out in about uh, three months as of this recording. And, well, that's, uh... That's all I have to say about this issue. I do have to remember to put a disclaimer in the show notes of this episode saying that, uh... You know, warning that this is going to be more of a negative take on a book here. Uh, and if that offends anybody personally, they might want to sit this one out. Uh, but, uh... On that note, uh, let's hop into the mailbag here to kind of get that taste (laughs) out of our mouths here. We're going to start with Damien, and this is the second part of his his message from uh, episode 300, talking about his favorite stories from each era of the X-Men here. And he says, I have favorite stories from every era, but I will start with the earliest. I have a very nostalgic love for the Juggernaut two-parter from X-Men number 32 and 33. I read it reprinted in the Marvel UK title, Thor and the X-Men, when I was very young, and it's the cornerstone of my fandom. It probably doesn't deserve to be so highly rated, but I can't help but remember it fondly. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, that two-parter, um, is weird. (laughs) That's, uh, that's the one with, uh, I don't remember the name of the demon, but it was like a, there was like a demon inside the Gemma Sidorak, um, like the big to-do that uh, that I recalled, or my research showed, was that uh, they were going to have a different cover with this you know creature, this alien on it, and uh, the uh, comics code came back and said that it was too scary. So they put the juggernaut on instead, and, and wound up coming up with a very iconic uh, and you know know it when you see it sort of cover. The story itself was um, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. This was you know the Roy Thomas run that that we're covering on uh, on the Essentials show is, um, I don't want to say more miss than hit. It is hit or miss. Uh, yeah, I guess mileage varies. And, of course, nostalgia is what nostalgia is, right? Uh, Damien continues, My pick of the Claremont Burn era is the Savage Land story. It's often overlooked, but I think it works better than Dark Phoenix or Days of Future Past because it gives time to all the characters and slightly changes your view of all of them. And uh, I do I really can't remember that story all that well I think for me uh, Savage Land is just one of those One of those uh, uh, motifs in the X-Books That kind of gets me to glaze over So I am definitely looking forward to revisiting that When The Essentials you know, finally gets there in a hundred years But uh, your point is certainly well taken On the strength of character pieces You know, these relatively speaking, quieter stories. Because, I mean, we all know Dark Phoenix. We all know Days of Future Past. We all know those stories. But um, just a a brief aside with, you know, in the Savage Land, where we get to really, I mean, because these characters at that point in time were very, very young. There wasn't all that much on the page about them yet, right? They were all new. So to be able to, uh, you know, give the characters time, and allow us to meet them. I can absolutely see the value in that. And uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to rereading that. Damien continues my next, rec- my next key recommendation is Uncanny X Men number 150. The development to Magneto in this story is the foundation of his character to this very day. A genuine must read, even though you have to stomach Kitty's worst costume ever. And uh, the work that Claremont did on Magneto. I tell you, you know, I, I've mentioned time and again That I came into the X-Men comics with Volume 2 And Magneto, to me, was nothing but a one-dimensional, you know, maniacal villain So as I became more and more familiar with the, uh, with the franchise And learned that, you know, Magneto was actually, you know, the headmaster of the school for a minute And that they did... Really, you know, deepen his story And make him a lot more sympathetic And I don't want to say Relatable so much But more human Perhaps Um, He is a complex character And, uh, uh, you know As Damien puts it here 150 is where that key started to turn You know, this is really informing One of the One of the greatest, you know Villains, anti-heroes, however Whatever you want to call Magneto The genesis of what this character would become Definitely kicked off here Uh, Damien continues Everybody in the world should read Uncanny number 159 Where the X-Men meet Dracula This is by Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz It's a perfect single issue And I don't remember that at all I'm sure I've read it When I think about the X-Men and Dracula I always go to that annual Where where Storm becomes like uh, The Queen of the Night or whatever Where she gets bit I, I don't remember I do not remember a single issue of Uncanny, though. That's another one. Looking forward to getting to it. Uh, Damien continues. The introduction of the Morlocks in 169 and 170 is the best of the Claremont and Paul Smith run. It's a great read just for its exploration of Storm's character, but I would also recommend it as a key text to understanding the Marauders in the Dawn of X era. And I think you just named uh, one of the very, very few Morlock stories that I that I enjoyed. Um, the Morlocks, to me, definitely, uh, diminishing returns. Each time out, it just seemed, you know, weaker and weaker, just, uh, it always felt like filler after a while. It's like, well, what are we gonna do? We've got, uh, we got a crossover coming up, we gotta kill some time here, we got three issues to fill. And someone's like, I know, let's, uh, let's do a Morlock story, and, uh... It always seems to come, like, uh, at least in my early ex-fandom, it always seemed to come, like, right before an event. Uh, there was the one right before the Executioner song. There was one uh, right around the time they were doing those uh, those foil covers for the 25th anniversary of uh, Giant Size. Very uh, fillery sort of feel for me. Um, Damien continues, The Mutant Massacre has to be up there as well. I personally would recommend the run from 210 to 215 so you can get the preview and the aftermath. Absolute mastery from Claremont, and yeah, the uh, you know the, these are like the seminal stories that we think about because they're the ones that are named. You know, as Damien mentioned, the uh, that Savage Land story. I don't believe it's been collected or named or given its own little you know title as a as a story in and of itself. But of course, we know things like the massacre, the fall of the mutants, stuff like that, and uh, the mutant massacre. The first time I ever read that was in a trade paperback collection that I paid way. Way too much for <laughs> this is Before I knew about, you know, finding things for cheap And uh, this was also probably mid to late 90s So the back issue market hadn't hadn't become what it would become So any issue from the Mutant Massacre would have been a 8 to $10, uh, you know, spend So I did spend a lot of money on that trade Because this is when trades were... They, they weren't like they are now This was... This was back in the, you know, the golden era where only the, you know, the top of the top got uh, trade collections. But I do remember being so blown away by it, and it made me, like, so hungry to read more from that era. And, you know, I'm so glad that in the interim, you know, from then till now, I've been able to, I've been able to experience everything. But uh, the Mutant Massacre is very, very special. Uh, Damien continues. You might expect me to select Fall of the Mutants as the next essential storyline, but I'm going to recommend the lead-up over the actual story. Issues 220 to 224 are just a slow spiral into darkness. You can see everything going wrong and the stakes rising. It really, really gets you in the feelings. And, uh... You know, emails like this I love and and I hate at the same time because now I, I just want to read these stories again. Um, I want to uh, I want to put a rush on the Essential X Labs to get us to these uh, just these wonderful seminal stories here and just to experience them issue by issue and share our thoughts together here. I really I really can't wait. I I mean I've talked about like the insane. Idea of doing a second show every every day, doing an essential every day, which will never happen. But uh, it's something that I get tempted to do every now and again. Uh, and right now, I'm very very tempted. Uh, Damien continues: The original Inferno remains my favorite X storyline ever, and I would recommend collect reading the Brood and Genosha story arcs as part of Inferno. They add so much to the event. Mark Silvestri is at his best here, and Claremont is in his pomp. It cannot be beaten. These are Uncanny, 232 to 243, and X-Factor issues 33 to 39. Now, the original Inferno, that's another special one to me where I, uh, I first read it as a trade, a trade that I paid way too much for. But I read it for uh, one reason. You know, um, I knew the Broader Strokes. Of what happened with Maddie and stuff from Trading cards and articles that I'd read But what I wanted to see was um, Was X-Factor meeting The X-Men again Uh, This was the first time that they'd crossed paths The original five thought that The X-Men had died in Dallas And this was the first time They all got back together and I could Not wait to read that bit And um, I probably built it up A bit too (laughs) large In my own mind because I remember, I didn't dislike it, but I was a little underwhelmed by it. I think I really, really built it up into something that it was never going to be. Damien continues, "Uh, The next couple of years have some great stories, but none of them stick out as being essential. They're just fun action comics. The uh, next key story for me is the whole Legion Quest and Age of Apocalypse storyline. As mentioned in the episode, it does get a little creepy, but the whole storyline is great. I felt like it gave a real shot to the books when just when just when everything was getting a little boring. And yeah, no totally, totally. And yeah, I mean we can we could talk about the creepiness some more, but uh yeah, we've we've done that. We've been there and done that. But um I totally agree. The uh the stories I'm thinking about like um the 30s of uh X-Men volume 2 and um like there was a Storm and Yukio story that felt like it went on a long time with like the Phalanx and uh Basically everything between, you know, the wedding of Scott and Jean and Phalanx Covenant in and of itself was kind of just, uh, there, you know. Um, the books definitely needed something. And, uh, whether anybody liked it or didn't like it, uh, Legion Quest and Age of Apocalypse were definitely that something. Damien continues, For me, there's only one other essential X-Men story between Age of Apocalypse and the Krakoan era, and that is the Morrison run. The reinvigoration of the concept was masterful, a true example of how you can completely reconceive a concept without undoing anything. I genuinely believe that this was Morrison's best work since Animal Man. It's clearly the strongest influence on Jonathan Hickman's run. And yes, while there are, you know, a lot of stories in between then and now, um, they all feel, and we've talked about like the Dark Decade, right? I mean, they even called it the Dark Decade in uh, one of the earliest issues of Hox Pox, but... Uh, The Dark Decade, for me, basically anything from Morrison until, or the end of Morrison, to the start of uh, Krakoa, it feels like, it felt like like Marvel was on, and of course there's, you know, Marvel burying the X-Men because they didn't have the movie rights and all that kind of stuff, but I'd like to think that they still wanted to make money off the X-Men. You know, they still wanted to, they didn't want it to be something they lost money on, they didn't want people to just hate the X-Men. Of course, they were probably depending on on folks like us, you know, completionists who will buy things regardless of whether or not we, we like it, simply because we don't want to miss out. But, as far as stories are concerned, let's take out things like burying the X-Men. Let's take out things like jobbing them to the Avengers, or making them look like lunatics against the Inhumans. Let's move that to the side here and just look at the, the X-Men stories, that don't involve the rest of the Marvel universe. They all seemed predicated on fixing things. But in order to fix something you have to break it first. So the the mutants, the X-Men, they were broken with House of X in my opinion. And the cracks only continued to grow from there. And then every story became about fixing problems, which only like amplified the fact that there were problems to fix. Every story became a fight against extinction. Every story was a reminder that we're that we're following along with like a broken franchise, a franchise that doesn't work. And I think there's only so long you can there's only so long you can push that to the forefront without people realizing that yeah, the things aren't going to get better. You know, this is something I probably... You know, look at those Avengers books. I can go read those. And uh, there were some, you know, bright moments in there. Uh, The Hope Trilogy. You know, the the trilogy where Hope came, went to the future, came back. Messiah Complex, Second Coming, and whatever the other one was. Messiah War, maybe? I don't remember. Uh, they, They all conflate because... Uh, The X-Men were a very, very samey samey sort of thing in the late 2000s. But those stories felt kind of like a shot in the arm. Like maybe we're going to start getting things back to prominence the way they're supposed to be. And then Schism happens, they reboot things, and it's AVX, they reboot things, then they kill Wolverine and they reboot things. And it just became a constant, um, there's a stock market term, uh, the dead cat bounce. Which basically says you could, you know, you could throw a dead cat and it'll bounce. So it'll give the impression that there's movement, that something's happening, when in reality, you know, the cat is actually dead. And the X-Men felt like they were in the middle of, like, a dead cat bounce. Marvel was throwing it around, relaunching it at number one every, you know, nine to twelve months. But it was dead. It was broken. And uh, all the minds at Marvel only seemed to be interested in breaking it even more. Until, of course, Krakoa. Damien wraps up with, I stuck to X-Men recommendations only because otherwise I'd be commenting for days. And I do have to go to work later. But rest assured that I would be recommending lots of New Mutants, X-Factor, and Excalibur from back in the day. Well, I tell you what, Damien, I, I love these uh, trips down memory lane here, so if you ever do have a few extra minutes there and want to uh, share some recommendations from the you know the sister books, please feel free to do so, and we can discuss those and refresh all of our memories and get excited for when The essential show gets there in 150 years. But uh, thank you so much for such a uh, such a thoughtful message. And for sharing your personal experiences with uh, with the X Men books here, and I mean that's an invitation to everybody. I'd love to I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on on the entire run here. Things that stood out to you, things that you remember, where you were when you read it. Uh, you know, I, I often will go back to the uh, the trite. You know, you'll you'll you can smell what was you know bubbling on the stove as you were reading that issue. It's those are the things that I just I just love talking about. They are. Uh, Uh, Almost as important as the stories themselves Uh, You know, I I will often say comics history is also our history And uh, it's something I probably talk about too much But I definitely enjoy talking about it Uh, Thank you, Damien, thank you so much for that Uh, Next up, Walt talking about X-Men Unlimited number 16 Which we just talked about last episode he says, I've fallen way behind on Unlimited in reading myself, and I appreciate you reading it so that I don't have to, though I tell myself I will eventually. And I tell you, I I, I wouldn't prioritize it. <laughs> I really wouldn't prioritize it. There, As I said during that episode, there's just something about the Unlimited book that inspires the, not the best work out of uh, otherwise uh, incredibly solid creators. Everything kind of comes across as... I hate using, you know, terms like lazy But, um, it's just not the best work It really isn't I feel like the bar is so much lower for the digital book than it would be uh, in a print uh, book Which, I mean, that bar isn't even very high But it's it's even below that um, Now, Walt continues The Wolverine thing definitely seemed a bit repetitive But better than X-Men Green <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it absolutely was Better than X-Men Green And we're going to talk a little bit more about Green in just a moment But um, yeah, the Wolverine thing I don't I, I mean, I do understand why they're doing it uh, It is at, at least title-wise It is a tie-in with the Zlato Lado. Zlato, It is Life of Wolverine But I mean, they, they could have very easily Just done like a one-shot Digital pamphlet That uh, Basically gave you uh, Footnotes You know, it's like, hey, you want to read Origin? Well, go read Origin. Hey, you want to read, uh, you know, Wolverine's first trip to Madripoor? You can do that right here for free. You know, I mean, if you already have a subscription, it's free to you. You want to check out the first time Wolverine crossed paths with Sabretooth? You can read that too. Uh, You want to read uh, the time Wolverine got the adamantium yoinked out of his bones? Hey, we've got that on Unlimited as well. I feel like that's what this is going to be. I feel like this is just going to be the the quick and dirty retelling of Wolverine's Origin Which, I mean, thank goodness they're not charging more money for this Or charging any money for this, if you have the sub already But it really feels like we're just wasting the talents of a, of a really good writer and a really good artist Just killing time telling a story that's already been told multiple times And multiple times on the same platform But I mean, what do I know? But thank you so much, Walt, for listening to The Unlimited Day, which uh, is a is one that people really don't listen to all that much because I think uh, a lot of folks don't even realize it's a book at all. So <laughs> thank you so much for checking out the episode and sharing some thoughts. Next up, our friend Evan talking about X-Men Unlimited number 7. And uh, it's funny here. I, I've already read a lot of Evan's thoughts on X-Men Green as he's been sending them in in real time and... Uh, yeah, as I've said a few times, I've, the show was pushed back to get to the three hundred, and you know, the stuff happened last month at my house, and yada yada yada. So I, I've, you know, I've been able to read a lot of his thoughts as they go through, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. Uh, so talking about X Men Unlimited number seven, which was five six, I think it was part three of X Men Green, and he says, "You bet the sandwiches that Nature Girl and Curse stole from the workers contain meat." I'll go even further. I expect expect that they taste of cured pork and deforestation. Now, during that story, (laughs) Curse and Nature Girl, they stole workers' lunches here, and um, I made a joke that they probably contained meat, uh, because, I mean, the whole thing is is very... I mean, it's X-Men green, so... I commented on them, you know, eating meat here And uh, Evan's joke takes it a step further to remind us of um, X-Men Red Annual number one Where uh, Nightcrawler uttered the immortal line uh, that The hot dog that was thrown at him by an evil anti-mutant person uh, Tasted like mustard and bigotry or intolerance or something equally stupid But uh, thank you for that laugh, Evan He continues, Beyond that, I don't have much. I'm a little more optimistic than you that there is something more to this story than finger wagging over the environment, but I haven't found it yet. I don't know if there's another shoe to drop, or maybe it's just a slipper to tumble. But Duggan seems to be aware in this and subsequent installments that Nature Girl killing people over plastic bags is not a heroic thing to do. But what the point is, I'm not sure. And trying too hard to figure it out is liable to make my head feel like a hippie with a freshly broken skull, and of course that is a reference to um, the uh, workers, the evil, evil oil. I think they're oil workers or refinery workers who <laughs> they said their their favorite hobby was was cracking hippie skulls. You know, like some some people like sports, some people like NASCAR, some people like comic books, some people like anime. These guys liked cracking hippie skulls, which, oh man, that was such a bad story. That was, um, that, that made me want to apologize to X-Corp. That's how bad X-Men Green was. But thank you so much for writing in about it, Evan. I'm looking forward to sharing the rest of your takes as we work our way through the entirety of X-Men Green with you. So thank you for, uh, for keeping this little old show in your thoughts as you make your way through. But uh, that will do it for today's mailbag here, and I think that'll do it for me. Before we get into uh, contact information, I want to shout out the members of the X-Lapsed Patreon, the wonderful supportive group, Uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Yeager, and Andrew in Belfast. And if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for any old reason at all, I would love for you to do so. You can find me several different ways, uh, Twitter, Ace Comics, uh, Instagram, 90s X-Men. Uh, you can send an email to weirdcomicshistory@gmail.com at gmail.com or call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You could also join us on Facebook at X Men. Of course, the audio archives are available, chris or, you know, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, X-Lapsed, any of the shows. You can just search them out. Should be pretty easy to find. And, of course, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed for behind-the-scenes stuff, extra audio and written content, and a wonderful group of folks to chat with. And, uh... Yeah, I think that's about it. One thing I do want to say before we cut out here is I know it's Excalibur Day, and Excalibur Day tends to be a little bit negative. If you disagree with anything I said, please, I invite you to reach out. Talk to me, you know. um, Let's have a discussion. And I don't know that anybody will change their mind, but a discussion is always a fun thing to do. So if we do fall on different sides of a... Whether or not Excalibur is a book worth reading, I humbly appeal to you to uh, reach out rather than um, trying to tank my show on uh, various social media platforms and podcasting aggregates. But I think that's all I have to say. I think that's the fourth or fifth time I've said I think that's all I have to say. But this time I really mean it. Um, (laughs) I would like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!